approach Easter, we are looking at Jesus' final days. Next week, we will be at the triumphal entry as Jesus enters into the city with the palm branches waving. But for this morning, we are maybe six days before that in the town of Bethany. Before I jump right into the, the story from John chapter 12 this morning, what we're going to be answering the question is, wasteful or beautiful? That's what we're going to keep asking ourselves this morning. Wasteful or beautiful? So what are we doing here this morning? What are we doing? Many of us have busy schedules, important things we need to accomplish today. We've got a to-do list running through our head. Is this really the best use of our time as we gather here this morning? Is it wasteful investment of our time or is it a beautiful investment of our time? All right, so now here we are. We've all gathered together all of our time and attention and our resources. What could we do with this 30 minutes that lies before us? There are so many great needs around us. Maybe we could tackle the problem of homelessness or sex trafficking or gun violence or drug addiction or abortion or prison reform or literacy or mentoring the youth. There are so many things that plague our society around us. Certainly, as we gather here together, what would be most useful is if we would try and get rid of some of those evils, right? And yet, what we do as we gather here isn't that, is it? What we do as we gather here is we, we sing songs, and we pray, and we listen to God's Word taught. Is, is this wasteful, or is this beautiful, that's what we have to answer our, the question this morning. Is it wasteful or beautiful? Let me tell you a story about one of our missionaries. Their names are Ajwal and Marion Jones. I think we have a picture of them for you. Ajwal has since gone to be with the Lord. Marion continues to serve our Lord um, and serves in her church and, and a ministry of prayer, of mentorship. She's still very active in her faith. It was in 1952, Ajwal and Marion are in graduate school. They feel compelled to go and be missionaries. Well, around that time, four indigenous people walk out of the jungles of Costa Rica, and they are able to communicate in some way. They've heard of this thing called a missionary, and they would like one to come to their tribe. Once news of that gets back to Ajwal and Marion, they say, this is it. They pack up their world's belongings, and they head off to Costa Rica. And they spend the rest of their life there showing love and care and serving the Quebecer tribe in Costa Rica. They did so many wonderful things with their lives, things you might imagine as you go into an unreached people group that live in the jungles of Costa Rica in the 50s. So they were such a blessing to this, these, this people group in so many ways, and their lives were blessed as well as they learned from them. Some of the things they did or they took their verbal language and they translated it into an alphabet that they could use and then they taught them how to read in their own language. They, said they spent 27 years of their life translating this language of the Quebecer people into uh, uh, written language so that they could translate the Bible. 27 years to translate the New Testament. In 1968, they had published the Gospel of Mark in their language, and they began to read the Bible with the Quebecer people through the Gospel of Mark. That was in 1968. But after 35 years, they went in 52, after 35 years of ministry in that village, five baptized believers. Five. So think about this. The 50s, they come and go. 
The 60s come and go. The 70s, they come and go. The 1980s come and go. And there's Azrael and Marion Jones saying, are we wasting our lives here? Are, are we really, is this, is this beautiful, what we're doing? Or have we wasted decades and decades and decades of our life? In the 70s and 80s, their mission board started communicating with them in different ways and encouraging them to consider leaving the tribe and walking away. We're not seeing the fruit. And the Joneses maintained their commitment. While their peers were in the United States, they were pursuing the American dream. They were there living in a hut in the jungles of Costa Rica. While their peers were buying a bigger house and a nicer car and building up their wealth, the Joneses were there raising their family in a hut in the jungle. Wasteful or beautiful? I'll finish the story for you. In, in 1993, the Quebecer church finally came, comes to life and continues forward and is flourishing to this day. And now they are sending out missionaries from their church to tribes around them. But do you ever feel like the Jones might have felt in the 70s? Like, what are we doing? Am I wasting my life? Am I wasting my talents? Am I wasting my money? Am I wasting my time? Today we're going to look at the story of a woman who could be accused of wastefulness. In fact, she was accused of wastefulness. Her story is in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. You're welcome to turn there as I do. We also put the verses on the screen for you as well. John chapter 12 is 1 to 8. This is late in Jesus' life as we've already established. He's on his way to the cross, but he stops off in Bethany. And here's what it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at a table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. So let's unpack this scene a little bit that's playing out. Jesus, like we said, is headed to Jerusalem to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. Only a short time ago, Jesus was with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. If you remember, Jesus was out teaching. They send word to Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, okay. He delays his arrival. By the time he arrives, Lazarus is already in the tomb. He comforts Mary and Martha, and then he goes to the tomb, and he calls Lazarus forth, and Lazarus is brought from death to life. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have this deep well of gratitude for who Jesus is and what he has done, maybe more so than most people that were around Jesus at the time. Jesus didn't raise that many people from death to life. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus have such a deep love and devotion and gratitude for who Jesus is and what he has done for them. So when they hear that he's coming to town, they say, well, 
we've got dinner. Come by, probably the house is full of people, but we know at least they are there, as well as, obviously, Judas Iscariot. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus are there to show their gratitude to Jesus. We're going to focus on Mary and her expression, but before we do, let's just highlight Martha and Lazarus. Martha is deeply grateful for who Jesus is and that he brought Lazarus back from the dead. But you know how Martha shows her gratitude to Jesus? By serving. We're told that she was there serving the meal. And for Martha, that's how she showed her gratitude. She was, Jesus, okay, I got the hummus, just how you like it. I made the pitas, just how you like it. And they're warm. Sit down, eat a warm one, let's go, right? That's how she serves. That's how she shows her gratitude is through service. So be like Martha. If that's how God has wired you, then be like Martha and show your gratitude for who Jesus is and what he has done for you by serving other people. It's a beautiful demonstration of your gratitude as you serve others. But Lazarus isn't the same as, Beth, as Bethany, as Martha is. Lazarus is showing his gratitude for Jesus by simply sitting and reclining at the table with him. Lazarus's point of view is probably, hey, life is too short to spend it in the kitchen. I think that guy's getting fast food a few times. He's like, listen, I am here with Jesus. This is how I'll show my gratitude. I will sit right next to him. I will soak in every word he says and every look he gives, and I will be with Jesus. And that's my expression of gratitude because this life is short, and every moment I can spend with Jesus, I will spend with him. You see how we're all made differently? We can all express our gratitude to Jesus in different ways. So be like Lazarus. Spend time with Jesus if you're grateful for him. Break away from the busyness of your life and simply enter into a time with Jesus. Mary, Mary is what we're focusing on this morning. Her demonstration of her gratitude is extraordinary. We want to highlight it in two different ways. One, it's a demonstration of generosity. It's also a demonstration of humility. So generosity and humility. Mary is showing her gratitude through generosity. So the text says it's a pound of expensive ointment. So we measure things differently 2,000 years ago than we do today. In our measurements today, it's probably about 11 to 12 ounces. We learn in verse 5 that it is valued at 300 denarii. So you translate 300 denarii in today's currency, and it's one year's wage. You say, well, how much is that? We all make different money per year, don't we? For the story to be meaningful to you, this is all you have to do. Just think of what do you make annually? What's your annual income? I've got mine in my head. You've got yours in your head. It's a one-time gift of your annual income. It's an extraordinary gift. I don't imagine many of us have ever done that before. But moved by love and devotion and gratitude for Jesus, she gives a whole year's salary in one motion. She pours it out on Jesus' feet. So the application is, is simple this morning. We should be like Mary. If we have gratitude in our hearts for who Jesus is, then we should respond with generosity. We should respond with generosity. We should be generous towards Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? Jesus was in the same room with her. Here's how you do it. Jesus is very explicit. He gives you exactly how you can do it. Matthew chapter 25. We'll put the words on the screen. This is Jesus teaching about a time in the future when the king, which is Jesus, will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it unto me. So we give to Jesus by giving to those who are in poverty, giving to those who are marginalized, giving to those who are in prison, giving to those who are naked or hungry or thirsty. That's how we give to Jesus. So if we're going to follow Mary's example and we're going to be generous towards Jesus because all that he's done for us, then here's what you will do. You will be generous towards people who are in poverty. That's what you will do. There's organizations all around us that do it. You can do it individually. You can give to um, the, oh, my brain goes um, blank in moments like this. Light of Life. Light of Life mission is on the north side of Pittsburgh. You can give to them because they're ministering to the homeless of our city. You can give to poverty around the world. You can give to those who live in poverty in Haiti. If you give to ESPWA, which is one of the organizations we partner with who ministers to the, those in poverty, you can give to any number of organizations. There's World Vision, there's Compassion, there's Samaritan's Purse, there's the Salvation Army. There are so many opportunities that you can be generous towards those who are living in poverty, to those who are strangers, to those who are sick or naked or hungry or need clean water. You can give to Northgate Church's Fellowship Fund. For those of you who are new to our church, we have two funds at our church. We have the general fund, out of which everyone's paid. The staff, the missionaries, the electric bill, all of it. The other, only other fund in our church is the fellowship fund. And that fund exists, and you can give to it to meet the needs of people who have needs, right? We get contacted regularly from people within our church and from those outside of our church, within our a network. The phone will ring. I'm in poverty. I need help. This is what I need. So we have a fellowship fund, and we have a process of evaluating needs so that we as a church can take this seriously as well. That if we love Jesus and we have gratitude for him, then we will have an orientation towards helping those who are in poverty or in need. Be generous. Give to those who are in need, like Jesus describes. But let's apply it a second way as well. You should also be generous to your local church. You should also be generous to your local church. Let's pay close attention to the text. Judas's critique of Mary is that she is not giving to those who are poor. The first point stands. If you want to be generous to Jesus, be generous to the poor. But there's a second point here. Mary wasn't giving to the poor. Mary was giving to Jesus in that moment, and she was accused of not giving to the poor. So what's that all about? That's her saying, I'm going to pour out my generosity in just, in just worship of Jesus. So let's be totally transparent. You, you all probably already know this, but just so that everything is clear, the majority of funds that come into Northgate Church do not go to helping those who are in poverty, nor to those who are in prison, nor to those who are sick or uh, lack clothing. We have a, approximately a $500,000 budget at our church. The majority of those funds do not go to that. Now, is that wasteful? Well, Northgate Church is committed to the four things, as we've described them before. We're committed to the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. 
And here's what we're, we're betting on, is that if people in our society can experience the amazing grace of Jesus, it will transform their lives in so many meaningful ways. And so what we do is we introduce people to the amazing grace of Jesus. And as they experience that grace, then we give them a space and we invest resources so there is a space where they can respond and worship and give Jesus the worship that he is due. And we think that will be so impactful that we will want to go outside of this space and continue to worship him in meaningful ways. We also acknowledge that it's a long, hard go at it to extend grace and to give worship. And so you say, you know what, you got to do it in community or you won't sustain it. So we create community. And then we invest into a mission. We say we have to go out on mission. But listen, church, our mission is also quite narrow. Our mission is to go out of here and share the amazing grace of Jesus and invite people to worship him and to connect in community. Our mission is to make disciples. Listen closely. Our mission is not to help sick people. That's the mission of the hospital. And some of you work in hospitals, and that's a really important thing to do. But it's not the mission of the church isn't to help sick people. The mission of this church isn't to resolve homelessness in the city. Let's light a life, and we, we should partner with them. But the church's mission is this. We're going, we're betting on this. You know what the city needs? It needs heart transformation. And if we could help people see the amazing grace of Jesus and respond in worship, it will transform their hearts and it will transform their lives. And then you know what will happen? The followers of Jesus will spread out into this city and they will work in hospitals and they will advocate for justice in our courts. And they will get out on the streets and make a difference with the homeless and those who are naked and those who are hungry and those who are thirsty. And we will make a difference in this world. And we will demonstrate our love for Jesus through those who are poor. But it's important for us to see, listen, as you give to Northgate Church, this is the model. Mary is the model here. We are pouring our wealth into the worship of Jesus because we think, you know what, this is, this is really the only organization in the city, the church, it's the only organization in the city that is saying, you know how we're going to transform this world to be more like heaven on earth. It's through transformed hearts and lives as we worship Jesus. So be generous to the poor. Be generous to your church. Be generous like Mary is generous out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. Mary is also showing her gratitude through humility. This doesn't really need to be elaborated on is there's maybe not a clearer picture of humility than Mary at the feet of Jesus wiping his feet with her hair. Now, 2,000 years ago, different time, different culture. If that happened this morning, it would be a picture of humility and it would be strange. 2,000 years ago, it's the same deal. It's a picture of humility and it's strange. Particularly 2,000 years ago in that culture, women don't let down their hair. Women don't come to the table where the men are eating and start rubbing the men's feet, Right? This is a picture of Mary's humility. She's willing to sacrifice her image. She's willing to sacrifice her reputation. She's willing to sacrifice her comfort and her cleanliness. Why? So that she can communicate to her Savior her love and devotion for him. She didn't let these kind of thoughts hold her back. Well, what will people think of me? I really like being around the 12 disciples, but if I do this, maybe they won't be my friends anymore. Be like Mary. I want to be like Mary. I want to have that kind of humility. 
Don't become distracted by what other people think. Don't believe the lie that that act of service is beneath you. Don't believe the lie that you're better than those people. Because in just a few pages, Jesus is going to remove himself from the table, and he's going to get down on his knees, and he's going to wash the feet of his disciples. So Mary demonstrates her gratitude for Jesus through her generosity and through her humility. May we be like, Jude, like Mary. And then Judas accuses Mary of wastefulness. Judas Iscariot, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now we know his, his words are then quickly followed by the words of John. I think John is still working through some, some guilt maybe, like, okay, listen, that's just Judas. He betrayed Jesus, and he was also a thief. So John gives us that commentary as he writes it. But Judas is saying, why waste? Why waste that money? What a waste. If I had to guess, I would guess that Judas is working through some of these things in his own mind and heart. Judas is thinking to himself, what a waste. I started following him like three years ago. There's no overthrow of Rome. He's not even seeking a position of power. There's no authority. Like, there, what, what am I doing? I'm wasting my life. You know what I can do? I could turn this thing around. I bet I could make some quick money, 30 pieces of silver. What a waste. And so we return to the question from the beginning. What do we see in this story? Do we see wasteful or beautiful? Is Mary's sacrifice wasteful or beautiful? Is she wasting her wealth and her reputation or is she beautifully investing her wealth and her reputation into her worship of Jesus? It's an important question for us as we gather here this morning. Is your time here this morning wasteful or is it beautiful? A lot of people will talk about you behind your back or maybe they'll be bold enough to say it to your face, but certainly people are thinking it. I mean, church on a Sunday morning, oh, work five to six days a week. We've got activities, we've got parties, we've got sports. We have all these things going on. Like Sunday mornings is my time. I'm not going to waste that time. It's the only time in the week where I can just wake up and just have a lazy, comfortable morning. I'm not going to waste that by going to church. And yet here you sit. Is this wasteful or is it beautiful? And it's not just church attendance, ladies and gentlemen. There are people onlookers, people like Judas, people who look on and say, what a waste that Sunday morning is. But they're going to say it about any number of things about our faith. Just think of the spiritual disciplines that we value, prayer. People will, onlookers will look on and be like, well, that's a waste. You've got that issue going on in your life and you have these many things to get done. And you're telling me, you think it's a good use of your time? To sit with your eyes closed and talk to the air? Like that is not a picture of like efficiency, right? That looks like wastefulness. So there's always going to be people that are looking on to our lives and being like, well, that's a waste. And it's not just onlookers. If, if you and I are honest with one another, we oftentimes think it's a waste of time too. That's why we don't do it very much. And we have a lot to do in our lives And we fail to carve out time to pray because sometimes we're not convinced it isn't a waste of time as well. Prayer, is it wasteful or is it beautiful? Other spiritual disciplines, just think about Bible reading or meditating on Scripture, right? Onlookers, people look on and they say, oh, well, 
That seems like a waste of time if you, if you want my opinion. It's just an old book of stories, right? Like, these are like fairy tales. People don't actually literally believe these things are true. What a, what a waste. You walk into the coffee shop, you look around the coffee shop, all this activity, right? Like people are on their phones, they're on their computers, they look like they're accomplishing things. They're with other people, they're sitting there, they're talking, they're investing in relationships, and then there's that one guy over there at a table and it looks like he's reading his Bible. Now, is that a picture of wastefulness or is it a picture of beauty? So we could think about church, we could think about prayer, we could think about Bible study, but I think we should probably just frame it around Mary, Mary's sacrifice was financial. Mary, Mary's generosity was what was viewed as wasteful. So we live in a culture where we keep our finances private, which is fine. You don't know how much I make. I don't know how much money you make. You don't know what I give, and I don't know what you give. Fine. Studies show, though, because we may not talk about it with one another, but I think most of us reported on our taxes so they gather up this information, and they do these studies, and they say, okay, Christians in America these days give about 2% of their annual income. Give. So whatever that box is, you check on your taxes, right? Nonprofits, you're giving away about 2% of your annual income, American Christians. You say, yeah, okay, well, times are tough. I mean, they're talking about a recession, so, I mean, we should really buckle down, 2%, okay. But don't do that, and don't think that. Because in the Great Depression... American Christians were giving 3% of their annual income. So we should probably just meditate on that for a minute. I'll honor our privacy. I won't tell you what I give. But you should know that of the 2% that American Christians give away, only 27% of that goes to churches. So the rest of it goes to really good organizations, I'm sure, that I'm sure do lots of wonderful things, but only 27% of it goes to the local church. I did my taxes yesterday. I'm filling out this form, and I tallied up how much money Caroline and I gave this year, and I added up the percentage of that that went to Northgate Church, and I'm not going to tell you those things. But I can tell you, I looked at that number, and I, was, and I said to Caroline, whoa, look at that number. And I mean, I internally, like, I process this. I know what I'm preaching on Sunday. And, I'm, and I think to myself, okay, is that wasteful? Or is it beautiful? Because I could have done a lot of things with that money. Is that, is that wasteful or is it beautiful? Smarter people than me might ask the question, well, how do you measure your return on your investment? And I just think that would be just a wonderful question to ask Mary about her return on investment in that moment, she probably wouldn't hear the question because she was at Jesus' feet, her ears by his foot, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. I want to be like Mary. I want to be generous. I want to be humble. I want my giving to be an act of worship. I want to give so much of my wealth away that people look at me, they look on in my life, and they say, You're crazy. That's, that's just downright wasteful. And I hope I don't even hear the accusations because I'm so much at the feet of Jesus. But if you hear such accusations, I hope you can also hear the words of Jesus in your heart saying, leave her alone. 
Leave her alone. She's the only one in this house who gets it. She's the only one in this house who's listening. I told you I'm going to die. She's the only one in this house who is anointing me for my burial. And the fragrance of this expression of worship filled the house. It says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I want to be like Mary. I want my demonstrations of love and devotion and gratitude to Jesus to be an aroma that just fills the room. She wasted a lot of perfume. She did. She dumped the whole thing on his feet. And it makes you wonder, I wonder how long Jesus' body held the scent of the perfume. They tell us the smell is the strongest sense that tied to memory. So they can study all these things now, right? And they tell us smell is the greatest sense that's tied to our memory. And so that makes me wonder, so how long could Jesus smell that aroma? She dumped a lot of it on him. Could he still smell it when he fell down in the garden, crying out to God in prayer? Could he catch a whiff of the aroma of Mary's love and devotion? As he's being whipped or spit on or tortured, can he catch a whiff of the aroma of Mary's love and devotion in those moments? And with our minds on Jesus, let's ask ourselves this question. Wasteful or beautiful? Jesus' life. Onlookers have every right to look on and say, what a waste. What a waste. God in human form spends 30 years of his life in basic anonymity. We don't have any record of of him doing anything or saying much of anything in the first 30 years of his life. And then in the last like three years of his life, he decides to demonstrate his power and teach people about truth and who God is. What a waste. And then you see the power that he has and you see the mark that he could leave and yet he writes no books and he starts no schools and he builds no wealth and he gains no position of power. And then as he dies in his early 30s, he's got 12 followers to carry on his legacy. And then these 12 guys, right? Fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot, just average guys, right? Not the cream of the crop, just average working guys to carry on his legacy. And by the way, they abandon him once he's arrested. For all of his great power, he allows himself to be arrested, crucified, and laid into a tomb. And then just think about the conversation of the disciples as they sit there on Saturday with Jesus in the tomb. What a waste. What a waste. He could have taught us so much more. He could have liberated our people. He could have overthrown Rome. He could have brought heaven down to earth, and yet he allowed them to kill him, and he's laying in a tomb. What a waste. So Jesus, is it, is it wasteful or is it beautiful? It's certainly beautiful, isn't it? Because we're still talking about his life today. It's certainly beautiful. Consider the radical generosity of Jesus. He didn't just give a year wage. He gave his whole life. The radical generosity of laying down his life, of the radical humility of God taking on human flesh 
and enduring the, the shame of being crucified publicly for all to see, let alone the fact of all the sins of all the world being put upon him. Consider the radical generosity and the radical humility demonstrated by Jesus. And now as we follow Jesus, we are invited to follow him in his way of life. And as we do that, we should be prepared for the fact that people are going to look onto our lives if we're living them according to Jesus' way, and they're going to point at us and say, what a waste. That's wasteful. Why would they say that? Because Jesus told us, he said, when you're poor, then you're rich. When you're last, then you're first. When you're weak, then you're strong. He stood on a mountainside, and his words are recorded. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So it certainly can feel like we are wasting our lives at times. What difference am I making? How am I changing the world? For all this money I give, for all this time I spend, what difference is it making? And there are always people who are going to look into our lives and are going to plant those seeds of doubt, and there are going to be people like Judas who say, oh, that demonstration of love and devotion, that was a waste. But I hope, again, you hear the words of Jesus, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's worshiping me. And this demonstration of worship can transform lives. So Mary anointing Jesus' feet with costly perfume, I hope we see it as beautiful. And I hope you can see the beauty in your sacrifice of worship this morning. I want you to leave here encouraged because you have sacrificed this time on your Sunday morning. You have carved it out and you said, you know what? No, this is good. And this is beautiful. And people can look on and think that I'm wasting my time, but I'm not. Why? Because Jesus has done so much for me. I can give him an hour of my worship. And that's a beautiful demonstration that you have done for us. I know there's others that want to be here with us, and they can't be. And yet here they are on their device listening along, and that's beautiful as well. I hope it inspires you to live those demonstrations of beautiful worship out this week. In small ways, like service and time spent with Jesus, and also consider maybe an extraordinary act of generosity, an extraordinary act of humility, something that is truly unsustainable, and yet it would demonstrate how much you love Jesus. I like to imagine this scene, and it's just my imagination. Mary and Martha, late in life, sitting by the fire in rocking chairs. That doesn't fit the historical time, but just go with me. There they sit. They're older. Maybe they're talking about the past. Maybe they're comparing notes on Lazarus' funeral, right? Like, I really like the first one. Well, the second one had a lot of good elements. Um, right, Lazarus, two funerals. Um, Mary has a moment of discouragement. She's looking back over her life and she turns to Martha and she says, Martha, what did, I mean, what difference did we really make? For all the money we gave, for all the time we spent, for all the serving we did, I mean, what, what difference did we make? What does it all matter anyways? And I imagine Mary responding, saying, Mary, remember that time 
Remember our, remember our last meal with Jesus? We were all around the table. We were all so grateful that Lazarus was there with us. He was at the table with Jesus. It was this wonderful meal. Remember that? I was in the kitchen cooking, and there was Lazarus, and then you walked in the room, and you had that expensive bottle of ointment, and you dumped the whole thing out on Jesus' feet, and then you wiped your hair on his feet. You dumped the whole bottle, Mary. It was the most expensive thing in the house. We had nothing else with more value than that bottle of ointment, and you dumped the whole thing on his feet. Martha says, and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And I've never forgotten it. And Mary, if I would have talked to you that day and asked you, what difference are you making, Mary? You wouldn't have cared because you were so consumed with love and devotion and gratitude. Mary, it's not about our usefulness. Mary, our invitation isn't to change the world or make a difference. Our invitation is to love Jesus. And it's easy for us to look back on a life of loving Jesus and for us to look back and see what looks like waste. But Jesus sees beauty. Beauty. 